2: Welcome back to Live Mike, final hour of this episode of this program here on KSL News Radio. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I need to make a correction. Earlier we had some breaking news, and it was regarding the updated numbers. Uh, reported by the utah department of health well we received uh, an update to that data from earlier now the 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 big numbers are the same it is still unfortunate to report that there are three additional deaths attributable to the coronavirus uh, and we have seen a dramatic increase in positive cases from yesterday 586 the Uh, The highest we've seen in a single day. One um, detail, though, I need to uh, uh, update has to do with one of the individuals who passed away. Earlier, I reported that that male between the age of 65 and 84, while hospitalized at the time of his death, passed away in Washington County. That's incorrect. It was Wasatch County. Now, I know that that detail may seem minor, but I just I I felt compelled uh, to keep you up to date 100 percent. And so that, you know, well, maybe that detail is not important to you. uh, But here at KSL News Radio we do pay attention to these details because they are so incredibly important as we move forward. All of the decisions that impact the way we are living our lives and earning our livelihoods right now are all wholly dependent on data. And on this data and on these details, very important. And so while it may may not make a huge difference to you in which county between Washington and Wasatch, where uh, this unfortunate gentleman lost his life to the coronavirus, please know that that is the level of detail to which we are paying attention. On the topic of details. And the coronavirus. I've been receiving a number of text messages, and in fact, some phone calls and some messages from other places, comments from folks, uh, giving me a little bit of flack for uh, focusing on the numbers that we report each day the number of deaths, the number of positive cases, while there are other ways to measure uh, the, the, the coronavirus and its impact on our community. Well, listen, it's in, this, it's in the spirit of time. Uh, that that we limit the the amount of data that we share. That is not to say that there is not a wealth of data available uh, to us and to you. And so here's my invitation: go to coronavirus. Gov. When you get to the main page, there you'll see a little yellow oval that reads case counts. You give that a click, and on there, when you arrive at that next landing page, you'll see the data and the information that we share with you here each day. You'll see the cumulative numbers. Uh, uh, unfortunately, one of the first numbers you'll see is 155, and that is the total number of deaths attributed to the coronavirus. Uh, 1,145 total hospitalizations. Now, that's not current hospitalizations, that's total. If you want to know the current number of hospitalizations, you scroll down a little bit. That information is there. If you're curious about which county or region within the state of Utah is facing the highest risk or the Highest number of instances. You can find that number there. There are many of you that are curious about demographics. Well, that information is all there. If you are curious about the percentage of individuals who have contracted the coronavirus based on their age category, that is all there for you. Again, coronavirus.utah.gov. The breakdown uh, by, by gender is there for you as well. And nationality, it's all there. So just know that you do have that resource. If you want uh, to get a look at it from that perspective, coronavirus.utah.gov. That site is populated with information from the Utah Department of Health as it gathers information from the various, I think, 13 health jurisdictions throughout the state of Utah. Okay, now I've rambled on uh, a little bit longer than I had intended on that, but I wanted to make that correction in data, and I wanted to steer you in the direction of that good source of information. While I have a few minutes left here, I want to move on to this next topic, which has to do with the president, and I've got something to say. I told you so. I told you so. Yeah, yesterday... The big news that we covered here on this program and elsewhere was the decision handed down by the Supreme Court relating to DACA and the president's executive order to halt that program. Well, the Supreme Court yesterday they said, mm, sorry, President, not so fast," but they did it in a way that left the door open for him to reapproach. They said that his halting of the DACA program was wrong only in that he took the wrong approach, that he had violated certain procedures. And if he were to have correctly navigated that procedural pathway to halting the program, that he could do so within the bounds of the law. Translation, the president still has an opportunity to terminate the DACA program. The way I characterized it yesterday, it was as if the president had submitted an essay to his college professor. That college professor had taken a red pen and done a little bit of grading, marked here and there, you ought to correct this student, and handed it back to student Trump. Who then would have had the opportunity to correct that essay and resubmit for a higher grade. Now my prediction yesterday, here's where I got it wrong, my prediction of yesterday was there is no way, there is no way that the president in this atmosphere, at this stage of the political game, with this proximity to uh, the, the election, the re-election, if he has his way, there's no way he re-engages this fight. Because the question of DREAMers and the DACA program is pretty much agreed to amongst those members of Congress. They all want to address it. They all want to fix it. They all want to do what's right for those who were brought here from another country in their youth and who now uh, don't enjoy citizenship but don't enjoy it through no fault of their own. Democrats and Republicans want to make things right with those youngsters who now aren't that young. In fact, just yesterday we spoke to an individual who's navigated her way all the way through law school, has passed the Utah bar, and is looking forward to a, a career of her own, a legal career. Well, guess what? President Trump got on Twitter and early this morning did what I predicted he would not do. The president surprised me, <laughs> which should come as no surprise, I guess If you run through the track record if, if if the president is not surprising you, maybe something's wrong. Anyway, he tweeted this. he said, the supreme Court the Supreme Court asked us to resubmit on DACA. Nothing was lost or won. They punted. Much like in a football game, where hopefully they would stand for our great American flag. That's funny. We will be submitting enhanced papers shortly in order to properly fulfill the Supreme Court's uh, ruling and request of yesterday. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, White House spokeswoman this morning uh, had this to say. During the press conference, the, uh, Kayleigh McEnany answered questions on the ruling and uh, the way forward. She said the ruling was not a defeat, but a chance to address the problems with the order.
1: One thing I would say about yesterday's ruling um, is that really um, this was a situation where you had all of the justices saying that President Trump was essentially right on the law on DACA. You had the majority and the majority opinion, quote, the dispute before the court is not whether DHS may rescind DACA. All parties agree that it may be rescinded. The dispute is instead primarily about the procedure the agency followed in doing so. So in other words, um, President Trump was right on the law here. Uh, It was unlawful the way President Obama went about this. But as for the way forward, um, I just was in and, and was speaking with the president, Um, And the chief of staff about this. And we're looking at documents currently. um, And we're going to move forward in a responsible way um, and cure some of the remedies and the unlawfulness that we see with the previous memo that brought DACA into place. But we want to find a compassionate way to do this.
2: Senator Mike Lee has some thoughts on this. He'll join us in the next segment. Uh, First, though, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Mike Lee is our guest here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsbury. It is the season of Supreme Court decisions. We have received two in recent days, and uh, we will likely receive more in coming days and weeks. And it is also the season for opinions and attitudes and reactions to those uh, opinions from the Supreme Court. Yesterday, the decision was that the president, in his attempt to halt the DACA program, had done so uh, in in improper methods. And uh, the president today has responded saying, oh, well, shoot, if that's the case, I'll, I'll just fix those methods. Uh, I'll, I'll resubmit the essay for a higher grade later on. Anyway, uh, I noticed this morning, uh, Senator Mike or just just about a day ago, Senator Mike Lee had a, a tweet uh, which read, the Supreme Court held today that President Obama's DACA program is clearly illegal. That should have been the end of the inquiry. If uh, president can't undo the illegal acts of his predecessor, that can lead only to ever-expanding executive power. That senator joins me on the line now. Senator Lee, sir, how are you?
0: Doing great. Thank you very much, Lee. It's good to be with you.
2: Yeah. Uh, now, now, listen, you, you probably won't talk uh, like this about yourself, and so I'll go ahead and do it myself. Uh, you have a, a mind that is worthy to sit on the Supreme Court, and so when you analyze these types of decisions and these opinions, uh, I, I sit up straight and listen. So tell me, how do you respond to yesterday's decision?
0: I think it was wrong, and I think it was an abdication of the judicial authority for the Supreme Court not to refute the illegality of what President Obama did, but nevertheless to say, well, the Trump administration can't undo that which was done by executive action under the Obama administration. They came up with this hyper-technical analysis that was frankly wrong. In, in any event, sidestep the fact that it, this was uh, the creation of the uh, DACA program was unlawful to begin with. Uh, I, I think that was an act of judicial intervention in, in a sense of uh, the judiciary's usurpation of the legislative role.
2: So this isn't about uh, President Trump poorly navigating you know, this act that dictates the, the, you know, the process through which he must pass to, to make executive orders like this. This isn't about that?
0: Well, it is about that. It's uh, about how he did it. So they they went through this hyper-technical analysis to say that, um, yeah, uh, President Obama created the DACA program by executive order, but it can't be undone the same way that it was created to begin with. That's simply wrong. And it leaves the country stuck uh, with an executive action taking on effectively the force of law. And that's wrong.
2: The president has tweeted that he will be submitting enhanced papers shortly in order to fully and properly fulfill the Supreme Court's ruling and request of yesterday. Is that a mischaracterization of what came from the Supreme Court? And does he have a path to essentially, as I've phrased it, resubmit his essay for a higher grade?
0: Yes, he does have the authority to do that. And no, it's not a a misstatement of what's happening. Um, So he'll have to go through and resubmit the paperwork, redo some of the paperwork, and at the end of the day, I think he wins. Uh, What's unfortunate is that the Supreme Court has required this senseless, mindless delay, and uh, it it seems to me to be an improper use of the judicial authority.
2: Speaking politically now, does it surprise you that the president would so quickly respond and re-engage this issue in this fashion?
0: No, it doesn't particularly given that you had the court going way out of its way uh, instead of rendering a judgment on the basis of what the law requires, going way out of its way to avoid allowing President Trump to undo something President Obama improperly did. And so he sees the court as having engaged in an improper uh, judicial action and and effectively engaged in a, in one of the actions reserved for the two political branches, the executive and the legislative. And so it's not surprising to me uh, that the president would weigh in and call the court out on it.
2: How about the program itself? Should there be accommodations made for those uh, brought here uh, in their youth, in a a time of life where they didn't have any control of their movements? Should there be a pathway for them to become citizens?
0: Uh, Look, I, I don't think I know anyone wouldn't acknowledge that there ought to be some accommodation made for people who were brought here as infants, for example, uh, by no choice of their own, and who don't have a homeland to return to, maybe you don't even speak the language of the com- country of their birth. I, I, I don't think I know anyone in uh, the Senate or the House of Representatives, among Democrats or Republicans, who thinks that there ought to be no recourse for those individuals. There are a whole lot of um, uh, combinations of legislative solutions to that. So far, Congress has not been able to reach one, but that's how the system was set up. But unless or until we can reach such uh, a compromise and such an agreement, it it doesn't happen. You don't change the law. What happened with President Obama is that he went in and by executive order uh, remade the law uh, after acknowledging himself for many years that he didn't have the power to do it. He went in and made that very legislative change. And uh, so that has forestalled any perceived need within Congress Mm -hmm. in order to work out a compromise. Because again, the the devil is in the details here. The point is not whether some of those people should deserve some accommodation. The point is where the exceptions are going to be made and whether it culminates in a full-blown pathway to citizenship or or instead uh, to some sort of legal status and, and who gets what status and with what requirements in between.
2: Sure. I want to shift gears pretty dramatically right now. You may not phrase it this way, but uh, what I'm observing right now is that you yourself find, yourse- uh, find yourself in the midst of something of a feud uh, with uh, Fox News' uh, Tucker Carlson. In fact, he had this to say on his program recently. Lee chairs the Senate Antitrust Subcommittee. He is the man who could do something to protect you from Google. But Lee has not bothered to do that. Instead, Mike Lee repeatedly has taken the side of the big tech companies over your constitutional rights. You this morning put out a uh, like a fact and myth type uh, document uh, explaining what's going on right now between yourself and Tucker Carlson. Explain that to me, please.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, First, let me say that I like and respect Tucker Carlson most of the time. Uh, He just has his facts wrong here. Um, and, And look, I've called out Google and other big tech companies a lot. Uh, I, I think Tucker is, is mistaken uh, on a couple of key facts. First of all, he seems to be operating under the premise that Section 230 of the Telecommunications Decency Act uh, was somehow a special handout created for Google. Well, it was passed in 1996. Google wasn't even created until '98. So uh, what he's suggesting, insofar as he's assuming that it was created for them, is, is a factual impossibility. Uh, but... Section 230 also applies to all companies. So regardless of who you are, whether you run a a search engine um, or or whether you run something else, whether it's uh, Facebook or KSL.com or or Tucker's employer, Mm -hmm. FoxNews.com, you've got equal access insofar as you engage in similar conduct. Uh, So whatever problems there may be with Section 230 – and it's clear to me that some reforms are needed from time to time and probably are needed now. It's, it's, it's not the, um, the product of Google's market power. It's a law that, that applies equally to everyone. Now, now, separately, there may be some things that Google does that might violate antitrust law, like favoring some of their own services and products over others. And we've held hearings on those issues, and I've called Google out publicly on those issues.
2: On those antitrust um, uh, issues.
0: Yeah, on those antitrust issues. But, but those issues have nothing to do with Section 230, which is part of telecommunications law and not antitrust law. And that's another area where I disagree with Tucker. He's suggesting that it's somehow my prerogative of the chairman as the chairman of the antitrust subcommittee uh, to hold hearings on Section 230. That's not part of the subcommittee's domain.
2: Yeah, uh, former congressional staffer myself, I understand exactly what you're saying here. Uh, there are areas of jurisdiction, and 230 does not fall under uh, your jurisdiction as chair of that committee. Uh, Senator Lee, I hate to cut this conversation short, but we've got to go. Uh, I'm going to share this, uh, this document on my Facebook page and invite people to, to have a look at it as you uh, go back and forth and explain the claims uh, made by Tucker Carlson uh, and your explanation of reality as you see it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your explanation. And thank you for your expertise on this this uh, Supreme Court matter. Look forward to speaking to you again.
0: Thank you, Lee. Take
2: care. All righty. A quick break here. When we come back, we are going to be speaking with Representative Ben McAdams. I should call him candidate Ben McAdams. We will be speaking to him as uh, a man looking to retain his seat as Utah's fourth district congressman in the House of Representatives. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.